Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and this Sunday's podcast is about the 17 and 13 Detroit Pistons. The streak is dead. Long live the streak. Ben Gulker and I talk about Stanley Johnson's move to the bench. He's been demoted. Is the next move a trade? Then we get to Reggie Bullock's time in the limelight and talk about which Pistons starter we'd be most likely to build a team around and why. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on iTunes and the Detroit Bad Boys post. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. And, of course, you should be following DetroitBadBoys.com, the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hey everybody, welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am joined today by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you? Hey, uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, The Pistons barely won a basketball game, but a win's a win. Um, So yeah, magic just about ruined the night for us, but uh, held them off barely, just barely, end of the game. Just barely. Just barely. The Pistons, they, they had a 24-point lead in the fourth quarter against the Orlando Magic on Sunday. Uh, they only managed to win the game by four points due to lackadaisical uh, defense from the starters. Uh, Reggie Bullock had 20 points, though, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I definitely didn't see that coming. Reggie Bullock is, of course, a starter for the Pistons now, now that Stanley Johnson has been moved out of the starting lineup and onto the bench. Um, so... That's, I guess that's kind of the big news that's come out of this week is that uh, Stanley is no longer starting for the Pistons. I actually wrote a, a piece on on Saturday uh, outlining a couple reasons why I think the Pistons should trade Stanley Johnson if they're not going to be able to utilize him correctly. And uh, you wanted to talk to me, to me a little bit about that. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of reaction to that piece. There was more than I was expecting. So uh, so yeah, what what's what's up? I feel like we should. So Pistons fans seem, um, I, I would say, sort of just judging on the comments to that post, uh, pretty attached to Stanley Johnson in a way that I was not anticipating. I don't know if you feel the same way after writing that, but I, I thought it was a strong argument. Um, I, you know, I had some thoughts just like generally, like if you take names and faces out of the equation and just look at a team like the Pistons, right? It probably going to win somewhere between 40 and 45 games, probably going to put them in the bottom half of the playoff race. Um, don't have a ton of financial flexibility in, in the next year or two to make dramatic improvements. And they've got a guy who's not starting now, but who had started for the entire season, who was very clearly the weakest link, like any scenario like that, forget it's the Pistons, forget it's Stanley Johnson. Any team in that situation ought to have an attitude that essentially no one is untouchable, right? I mean, there are the rare exceptions. You get the, you know, the Pelicans over the last couple of years, a guy like Anthony Davis, obviously he's pretty much untouchable. To to some extent, Andre Drummond would be close to untouchable. I mean, there's not a ton of guys I would want to trade Andre for. But, uh, you know, there was a pretty strong negative reaction to tr- trading Stanley Johnson. And uh, all I could think was... Um, 
the Pistons aren't that good. Stanley has been really bad. Uh, and as you talked about in your piece, maybe miscast um, in terms of his skill set or potentially miscast by the coach. Like, I think any team like the Pistons should be willing to move a guy like Stanley Johnson. And the Pistons in particular should definitely be open to moving a guy like Stanley Johnson. I mean, should they dump him for, you know, salary relief in a 2021 second rounder? No, obviously not. But I mean, absolutely. They should be open to trading Stanley. They should be open to trading just about anybody really. I mean, Drummond, I mentioned Tobias, it would have to take a pretty sweet deal for me to want to move him, but the the position the, the position the Pistons are in the last thing they can afford to do is get sentimental and not make a move that could make them better because look they've got to get a lot better they're nowhere near Boston right now they're nowhere near Cleveland right now they still got a long way to go and, and they can't get too attached to, to players who aren't getting it done. I think the main thing that I took out of that was that. Pistons fans are attached to Stanley Johnson insofar as that he is the player on the roster right now. The best, the best chance they have at like a two-way, uh, a really talented two-way player uh, who's young and presumably uh, going to be relatively cheap in the future. And having a guy like that on the roster is how you, is how you move forward and build. Uh, you you have guys like him on the roster, and then you pair those guys with superstars, and that's how you get uh, to where you're going. But I was also a little shocked by the reaction, uh, not only because the piece itself was a little bit trolling. I don't. I want to come out and say this. I don't actually think the Pistons should trade away Stanley Johnson for, like you said, like a 2021 second rounder. Um, I do think there are teams that use could utilize Stanley Johnson better than the Pistons do right now. But at the at the same time, he he's looked aggressive. He's looked more aggressive offensively in the last few games since coming off the bench. Maybe the role change is what he needed. But when he was playing in the starting lineup and when I had the idea and the, the, uh, the thought process for this piece, um, he simply was not playing well. And so there needed to be changes made. And one of those changes, if you're going down the list of potential changes, one of those changes had to be, you know, a trade consideration. Um, that said, he, he's looked better lately. Like I said, since he's come off the bench, he's looked more aggressive, we'll say, offensively. And um, he's still not shooting the ball anywhere close to where you'd like him to. Um, but at the same time, you can't... It's He's still only he's still under 22. It's still a little early to, quote-unquote, give up on him. But um, you can't let his play... Uh, damage the team to the point where they're uh, not uh, in the in the contention for the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, which it was doing up to that point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Bullock has answered the call. I mean, he's been solid, uh, obviously coming off a career high tonight against Orlando, shot the lights out eight for 10, I think it was. And, and I think Bullock is a competent defender. So I think Stanley is probably on the whole – a little bit better defender, especially against bigger, stronger threes. Cause Stanley, you know, very physically gifted, strong kid uh, and, and can move his feet. So he, he works well defensively, but man, I've been super pleased with the way Bullock has played having a, a shooter in the three spot. Um, I, I think that helps at least in theory, it helps the Reggie Andre pick and roll when they go to that. Uh, and then I think if Bra- Bradley gets healthy 
and uh, gets out of his shooting funk, you know, having two shooters, one at the two and one at the three, frees things up for Tobias and frees things up, I think, for, for Reggie as well. So I think that that ultimately could be a good thing um, to see to see a bullet come into the starting lineup. We should talk a little bit about Avery Bradley's injury and what what that's done to the starting lineup. Um, at the same time, we knew Stanley Johnson was getting benched. Um, Luke Kennard was inserted into the starting lineup for Avery Bradley, who's out with, uh, I think it's an, an an adductor strain. I forget if it's on the left or right side. But you're right. Um, having a guy in Luke Kennard who knows his role and plays his role uh, the way it's supposed to be played and doesn't kind of demand the amount of usage that Avery Bradley does, I think is a net benefit for the Pistons starting lineup. And it's it's really odd to say because Avery Bradley's the the huge offseason acquisition for the Pistons, and he brings a, a level of defensive intensity every night that uh, changes the mindset of the team. And he works really well with Andre Drummond in uh, dribble handoffs, and he's uh, a better perimeter shooter a more consistent perimeter shooter we'll say than the guy he replaced in kcp but at the same time uh the he has a you know a negative net rating on the season and the starting lineup isn't as good when he's in it and it's just it's very strange to see you know reggie jackson and andre drummond uh, need more uh, guys who know their role next to them in order for them to succeed. I don't know. I don't know if that's a positive thing, a positive attribute that they need lesser stars to, to shine brighter, but uh, it's definitely intriguing. Uh, what, what have you seen with Luke Kennard in the starting lineup? Yeah, well, Luke didn't play particularly well today against the Magic, and I don't even know if he played. He played a little bit in the second half, I think, but I think only got 15 minutes, didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, had a good game against um, the Pacers most recently. Uh, I think what you've said about him knowing his role is right on. I also think he understands some of his limitations. And the thing that I like, two things I like about him offensively. The first one, he's a very high IQ player. He moves well without the ball. He's a good passer and he buys into the team system. The second thing I like is he doesn't press. Um, He, you know, the majority of the time when he takes a shot, I think it's a good shot for him to take, right? It's within the flow of the offense. It's a high percentage look most of the time. And and I think that works well because, you know, like you mentioned, Avery has been shooting the ball a lot. And that's put a strain on the offense at times, especially when he's not shooting well. Um, Really, the guys who should shoot the most are Reggie and Tobias, right? In my opinion, and and Bradley should be the number three guy. I think Luke stepping in and, and not necessarily looking to shoot the ball quite as much is definitely a good thing for the offense. And then defensively, I mean, you know, he's, he's been okay. He's been competent. And I think that's probably the most we can say about defense so far. Yeah. I I think the, the main attribute of putting him, him, Luke Kennard in the starting lineup is that Stan uh, doesn't like to close with Kennard. And so in the last, two games where we've seen Kennard start, um, I believe Reggie Bullock and Stanley Johnson were at the two and the three in the Indiana game. And today Langston Galloway closed at the two um, in the Orlando game. And so that's kind of an issue, right? If you, you have enough confidence in the guy to start him, but not to let him finish games. I'd like to, and I understand why did it, why Stan did it in the Indiana game, because uh, he wanted Stanley Johnson to guard, or he wanted a bigger guy to guard Lance Stevenson. But uh, tonight, especially with uh, with the way the Pistons were um, not 
they were playing lackadaisical on defense especially but they were not moving the ball especially well on offense um i think there's a there's no reason even when it's like a, a 17 point game it, there's no reason to let canard not close the game yeah and it it gets back to the kind of the tale of two teams right i mean this team in from one quarter to the next from in one quarter they're moving the ball beautifully. Guys are moving well without the ball, cutting back door, getting open layups, and, and the offense is generating open threes. And then a matter of minutes later, you've got four guys standing around and one guy dribbling the air out of the basketball. Um, yeah, I would have liked to have seen Kennard get a little bit of look in the fourth quarter at some point because I think, like I said, his instincts offensively are good. And I think his motion and him moving and passing and moving the ball could have helped. But, you know, we keep talking about this every week, but – the same thing keeps happening when when things get tough for the Pistons. They they tend to default to this over dribble, everyone stand around mode, and it it's just not working. Yeah, well, we we've started off on kind of a down note, but the the Pistons have now won three straight games. The streak is dead. Long live the streak. They uh, they snapped a seven game losing streak and are now uh, what eighteen and fourteen. I believe, uh, which is you know still good enough for a playoff spot, an upper tier playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Um, the next games, couple games coming up are at Dallas in uh, two days, and they have a home game against the Knicks, who just beat Oklahoma City at home. So that might be a tougher game than it appears at first blush. Uh, then they play, and they have three full days off, which I think this team could really use. They played uh, four games in the last seven days, which is uh, on the high side for an NBA team. And then they play at uh, Indianapolis, uh, I believe. Actually, no, they play oh, they play Indianapolis at home. Um, the seven-game losing streak was definitely not a, a – uh, it was not the, the best time to be a Pistons fan, but it was also – um, you could look at the schedule and see that the Pistons weren't necessarily going to win a lot of those games. You could look at this stretch of the schedule upcoming and say the Pistons should win most, if not all of these games. Then um, I know I'm probably going to be busy during the holidays. I might not have time to, to catch every single Pistons game. Should I just uh, mark the Pistons down for three or four straight wins and uh, call it a game and come back in January? Yeah, I think the, I mean, Indiana, they're not a shoe-in, and then San Antonio at home on the 30th, which is almost January, I guess. I mean, the Spurs are still tough. Managing Nobly is still knocking down game winners, you know, like it's nothing at 40 years old. So I'm not going to give them those two, but I'm, I'm going to give them Dallas. They should beat the Knicks. I mean, they really should beat the Knicks, and then they should beat the Magic again and they should blow the Magic out and actually finish the game when they play on the 28th. But uh yeah, I mean, they, they ought to be somewhere around 22 wins, 23 wins next time we talk, I would think. Yeah, that's, that sounds that sounds about right to me. Um, yeah, they're 17 and 13 right now. So, uh, yeah, 21, 22 wins. That, that sounds about good. Yeah, and I guess it depends um, on when we talk, given the holidays. But yeah. True, very true. <laughs> Uh, I was going to save that to the end, but I don't. I don't think we're going to be having a lot of podcasts over the holidays. <laughs> Between uh, you know me going back home to Michigan and uh, you, I presume having to spend time with your family as oh, well. Absolutely. I think we should. Uh, yeah, we'll 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 take some time off, but uh, I think that's not unexpected by the listening audience. I would hope. I would hope so. Hey, gotta we're human. Got to got to give us some time off. I mean, this is this is the part time hobby, guys. So right. So speaking of guys who need time off, though, uh, Reggie Jackson 
to my to my lion eyes hasn't looked quite the same uh physically since the second half of the golden state game uh he hit uh he he had a really uh hard contact foul uh right before halftime then he stepped out and hit a big three and then in the second half he was scoreless uh, he was over 10 in the boston game um, he's played marginally better uh in the last couple games against uh, indiana and orlando uh, today, but at the same time, he doesn't. He seems to lack the uh, the burst off the dribble he had earlier in the year. Um, I see him use utilizing a lot of uh, screens and rescreens. Uh, he's no longer needing only one screen to get to to get past his defender. Uh, I'm also, especially today, I noticed this. He's taking a lot more uh, pull up jumpers, which was the the dead giveaway from last year that he you know was seeing ghosts. He felt like he couldn't get to the rim. Uh, ben, am, am I just am I seeing ghosts, or do you think uh, how has Reggie Jackson kind of looked to you in the last couple of games? No, I totally agree with you. This really jumped out to me at the Golden State game. I mentioned that I was lucky enough to go to that game. And uh, he was so good in the first half of that game at dictating where he wanted to be on the basketball court. And then the second half, he just disappeared. And I think you're right. Since then, it's been a bit hit and miss. And Reggie's conditioning has been a concern of mine for a couple years now. And it like you just look at him when he's playing for more than a couple minutes at a time, and he just looks exhausted. Uh, the pull-up jumper is an interesting observation. I'm going to have to to look at that a little more closely because I'm thinking of two possessions in the second half of tonight's game where he took two questionable jump shots. One in particular um, was kind of a step back three when he had a big man on him and he had the baseline wide open. And I just thought, why in the world did he not attack the basket? Uh, it didn't occur to me that maybe fatigue is a, is a problem. Um, he didn't, at some point, Stan sort of played musical chairs between Reggie and Ish, given who was doing the silliest thing at any given time tonight. Ish with that terrible foul on DJ Augustine late uh, in a three-point shot. Um, but but Stan doesn't even seem committed to playing Reggie through, you know, like the last six, seven minutes of basketball games, which has been Reggie's money-making time, right? So, yeah, maybe you're on to something. Maybe there's there's something going on, and three days of rest is exactly what everybody on this roster needs. Yeah, I, I would just ask, our listeners to keep an eye on it, you know, see how many uh, screens you think Reggie needs to, to get to the rim. See if he's, you know, finishing at the rim like he had in the past. Uh, I will say so. The one thing that I noticed during the Indiana game was they ran a uh, Galloway at point guard lineup for uh, an SMA extended period of time. And that lineup was on fire offensively. Uh, that could have just been, uh, it was going up against the uh, not super great Indiana Pacers bench. But at the same time, if, uh, if there are times where Ish doesn't have it or you need uh, more shooters on the floor, I would be interested to see uh, more Galloway at point guard. I know he's not actually a point guard, but you know, in short four or five minute bursts, I think that could work. Well, and that was something I think when he was signed, the Pistons sort of uh, Pistons fans sort of expected that he might give Ish a little bit of a run for his money in, in certain lineups at backup point guard. So I think that's a that's a smart observation. It definitely worked when Galloway was making everything in sight. <laughs> Struggled a little bit tonight, but um, he's so streaky that yeah, it absolutely could work, especially when he's got the deep ball falling because he he can shoot off the dribble. He's not just a spot up guy, so that could potentially work. So I think we'll end with a uh, with a Twitter question that was not actually posed to us, but uh, one that I found intriguing that uh, Jake Chapman of uh, of he works for the Pistons. He's the uh, 
he does the Wired Pistons podcast. He does some post game stuff in Detroit. But he asked the other day, uh, which Pistons starter would you build a team around? Uh, Andre, Tobias, or, or Avery Bradley? Now I, I have my answer, and Ben, I'm curious to hear yours. Man, that's a good question. Um, so I would rule Avery Bradley out just without even hesitating. Um, and it would be a philosophical decision between Tobias and Andre. I mean, there are there are certain like all-in-one box score stats that would say Drummond definitely because his his rebounding and then this year the uptick in his true shooting percentage because of his increased free throw shooting and his ability to play at the end of games is really really solid argument in his favor. Um, but Tobias gives you so much more. I mean, obviously, uh, in in terms of offensive skill sets, in terms of mismatches, in terms of schemes you can run, uh, and so on and so forth. So I would say, because of the way I sort of understand and think about basketball philosophically, I would probably choose Drummond. But if I were picking between Drummond on his big Mega Max contract and Tobias on his contract, I think you can make a pretty strong argument that if you if you had to start with the contracts as they are now, you could start with Tobias because you've got way more flexibility to, to fill in the pieces around him than you would with uh, Andre Drummond right now. But I, I mean, I think Andre, I, I like Andre. I think he's a very good basketball player. I think rebounding and passing uh, are really important things, and he's doing both of those, especially rebounding. He's the best rebounder on the planet. And Tobias isn't the best anything on the planet, as skilled as he is. So I would lean Andre, but I would certainly hear people out who think Tobias should be that answer. What's your answer, Les? So my answer is, is definitely Andre. If uh, we can we can add everything you said, we can add that uh, he's been an improved passer this year, which is a side of him that we had not seen in the past. Um, and we can also add that he's improved defensively, and he's still only 24. Right. And so you can expect that there will be marginal improvements on the defensive end in the future. And and that's why I think you have to take him. You summed up the case against Tobias pretty, uh, uh, pretty good. He's not the best in the world at anything. <laughs> and so even uh, as well as he's shooting the ball this year, um, he's not, he's, he, he shouldn't be relied on to be the primary engine that drives an offense, which is what you're looking for out of a cornerstone player. Um, and so I wouldn't select Tobias. It's interesting though because Jake Chapman actually selected Avery Bradley after Whoa. being a, yeah yeah and he was he pointed out um, Avery Bradley's perimeter shooting and uh, his basically the crux of his argument was that uh, point guard defense is so vital in today's NBA that having a guy that can lock down point guards um, on your basketball team is more important than um, the uh, above average, but not superstar level offense of Tobias Harris and more uh, and less limiting than um, Andre than Andre's uh, defense. And I thought that was an interesting argument, but uh, I think a lot of people would disagree with him on that front, but uh, it was, a, it was just a nice thought exercise. And I'm glad I got to, I got to share that with you, Ben. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, I mean, to me, Avery, he's got to shoot better. I mean, his three point shooting is great, but his shot selection inside the arc is bad and it drives his shooting numbers way down. I mean, effective field goal percentage, right? He's a 40, what, 41%, 42% three-point shooter. 
in spite of that fact, he's 10th out of 14 in effective field goal percentage for the Pistons this season, which is kind of shocking. I mean, you think a guy who's shooting 42% from deep would have a lot higher effective field goal percentage. He just doesn't because he takes a lot of twos and a lot of them aren't very good shots. Um, so, yeah, I, I, <laughs> that's a lot to make up for, especially if he's shooting 14 times a game like he is right now as your as your key guy, as your cornerstone. But, yeah, super interesting thought exercise. I appreciate talking about it. Yeah, Bradley shoots a lot of long twos, and he doesn't yeah. shoot well at the rim. And so what you're relying on him for is a very good on-ball defense and three-point shooting, which you know are two very important things, just not the only two things I would like to have in, in my best player. Well, yeah, and he doesn't get to the line either. I mean, he, he doesn't seek out contact, which is, I think, a weakness of the roster as a whole. But, man, if you're building around a guy, oof, that's – that's like I said, it's a lot to make up for. There's a lot of holes to fill in that in that lineup. Yeah, we've talked about the lack of uh, shot creation slash foul drawing on this team in the past, and that that's something that's just uh, eternally frustrating. After watching some non-Pistons uh, NBA teams, it's like, man, all these guys can draw fouls. That's really cool. Yeah, I, and I it, like I think because I watch way more Pistons than I watch anyone else. When I watch. Like so, when it gets to the crunch time in the NBA season, the last twenty or thirty games, I I really dial in and watch a lot of the NBA. And you're right. Whenever you watch like the James Hardens, the LeBron James, the Kevin Durant's, like they get to the line at such a high rate. And that that right there is the difference. Like when you look at true shooting percentage, right? That's why their true shooting percentage numbers are just off the charts good, because they're very good free throw shooters and they get to the line all the time. And, and it's literally free points. It's literally a free throw for those guys and the Pistons. Just, they just don't do it. So it's a big gap to try to bridge. I, uh, I watch a lot of Portland. Uh, Portland is my, uh, my adopted basketball team on the sure. West coast. And they have Damian Lillard, who yeah. obviously is one of the better clutch players in the league. And uh, this past weekend against Miami, he basically drove at Bam Adebayo until he, until Bam was forced to foul him. Every single time in crunch time, yeah. the Pistons just don't have a guy who can do that. Yeah, I mean, the last guy the Pistons had who did that was Billups, and he wasn't great at it, but he was—he's better than anyone we have currently. I mean, it's been—it's been a long time. The Pistons have been a jump shooting team in several iterations now, so not—not not a skill that the, the the fan base has gotten to see a whole lot of. Very true. Uh, speaking of stuff the fan base won't get to see a lot of, uh, that'll be you and me, Ben. Uh, I think we'll return, what, the uh, maybe Sunday, December uh, 31st, maybe one more podcast uh, before the end of the year, but uh, I highly doubt it. Uh, New Year's Eve is a really busy time for a lot of people. Yeah. So I think I think the next podcast for the next time you guys will hear from us will be uh, Sunday, January 7th. Um, in, uh, in between now and then, uh, you know, visit DetroitBadBoys.com for all your Pistons news and analysis. Uh, follow Ben on Twitter um, and talk to him about about uh, talk to him about Luke Bernard's efficiency and uh, Avery Bradley's shot selection. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, and talk to me about whether or not Stanley Johnson should actually be traded. I welcome this discussion. Um, I'm Les Jackson. He's been Gulker. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will see you guys in the new year.